Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Wendy Fetterman and Broadway, perfect together. How perfect? As a producer, her 80-plus co-productions have garnered her nine Tony Awards, eight Drama Desk Awards, 11 Outer Critics Circle Awards, and 13 Drama League Awards. Her producer credits include Hades Town, Tootsie, To Kill a Mockingbird, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, Dear Evan Hansen, and Network, to name just a few. The entertainment business is part of Wendy's DNA. Her mom and aunt were actresses, and her uncle, Paul Fries, was the voice of Boris Badenoff, the villain in the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, the Jolly Green Giant, and the Pillsbury Doughboy. Growing up, Wendy studied dance, singing, acting. But after college, she put her performing dreams on hold to go into the family business following the untimely death of her dad. The years of experience in that world proved invaluable when Wendy transitioned into the theatrical world. We'll get into all of that shortly, but before we do, let me just add that Wendy is a 2019 recipient of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, which recognizes those who have made it their mission to share their knowledge, commitment, and talent with those less fortunate. She's also on the Kennedy Center's National Committee for the Performing Arts. Wendy has served as trustee on several organizations, including the Foundation for Gender Equality, the Bergen Performing Arts Center, Gilda's Club of Northern New Jersey. So let's meet and get to know this theatrical powerhouse and tireless supporter of the arts. Wendy, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. A treat to be here, and you're in the center of my Broadway world. <laughs> there How you go. Fabulous. And as Julie Halston, a dear friend of mine, said, oh. I, and I said, How come everybody knows everybody in Broadway? She said, Sandy, it's only 12 blocks long, wide, whatever. And I never thought of it in those terms. We really live together, and especially if you're fortunate enough to have a show in the, uh, in the Tony season competition, uh, there's about a six, seven-week period where we are at a lot of events together. Bad chicken lunches, bad chicken dinners. <laughs> um, yes, many, many events. And it, it's really, you see more of your... Uh, cohorts in professionally than you probably do your own family. I mean, my family's just been used to it after the last 12 years. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing in that you know uh, who you can who you can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, you also know that everybody, at least you would hope so, or should be on their best behavior because we do all work together so often, um, you know, in a lot of interchanging parts. Mm-hmm. It's it, it it's not that wide of an industry, so you, you should be on your best behavior, whether you're performing on stage, backstage, on the business side, as I do. It, it just behooves you to be a better... You know, play nicely in the sandbox. Do you think that that may make that world be too insular? No, I don't, because there are people that come in, you know, certainly. On turnip trucks? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, as far as, again, on on my side of it, you know, certainly film industry people have been coming and music industry people. But there are people that are have are coming from all different backgrounds that wind up as producers whether they've been worked in a producing office and worked their way up whether they were stage managers whether they were performers or the people that have just um you know someone like myself that was planning to be a performer but went into the business world so had sort of experience in both and they've got people that never performed but love the arts love theater you know had success in maybe in other parts of their life and turned to, you know and wanted to enter this world and, you know, did their due diligence and Mm -hmm. learned and deserved a place at the table as well as anybody else. So let's talk about 
you growing up, that you were exposed to the arts because it was right there in front of you in terms of relatives, and you also had an affinity for it. You took lessons. Were it you was, talented? I was, yes, I was I was good. Mm-hmm. There was no question. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my mother was did Broadway, radio, and television. My aunt went out to L.A. when she was 18 to make a film and said, there are palm trees here. They don't have those in New York. I am staying in L.A. <laughs> she did film, and then she wound up doing a lot of voiceover work herself, a lot of spaghetti westerns, and then she was an agent and very renowned vocal coach. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Uncle Paul, who we used to say made a lot of dough, dough, dough from saying <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yeah, but my right. most fun part of Uncle Paul was he was every original voice in Disneyland. So we would spend our summers out in L.A. so my family could be together, and... You know, I had the free pass in, in Disney, and everybody would be so scared on the Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted House. And I go, you know, <laughs> but I mean, he was every female voice, too. Isn't that crazy? He was the voice, Tony Curtis's female voice in Some Like It Hot. No, oh, he was, my God. Anyone who's done any voiceover work would know Paul So Fries. he's an icon. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So was it, so then what you're saying is it was a natural act for it you. It just wasn't even a question. You know, they you had me doing harmony to... when I was five at the right, table. Right, but I mean, the fact that you're exposed to it doesn't mean anything. You I, no, I did. I, I, I was I was particularly, a, 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 took to dance, I think, more than anything. I was a fine singer and actor. I think I just loved, I love, I still to this day love moving, mm-hmm. you know, put me at a party. And as soon as the music, if the music hasn't started, I'll be the one to go over and go, okay, it's time. Let's so go. what what did you think you had in mind for you? Were you going to be a musical actress? Did you did you want to be in a rock? No, I just band? wanted my Oscar and Tony by the time I was 25. That's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. It was nothing. Okay. It was nothing. <laughs> but, but, but I was struck because as I was going through your bio, you certainly didn't study those things at NYU. Well, my alma mater, by the way. What okay. happened was the deal that I had made with my father, I started at UCLA, uh, came back to New York for my brother's wedding, and one of his friends took me to this little place called Studio 54. Mm-hmm. And at that time, L.A. didn't have a lot of nightlife or stuff going on. And I kind of fell in love with the city in a different way. I always loved coming in as a, I grew up in Westchester. I always loved to come in with my dance class and all of that and uh, and see shows. But coming back in a little bit older and being able to go and do this nightlife. So I transferred back to NYU. And the deal that I made with my father was take business courses. But outside of that, you know, study anything and everything you want, dancing, carry on. But at least when you graduate, have this You'll have that under degree. your belt. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I didn't see any harm or downside in, in doing that. We had an interesting business. We manufactured ribbon for the floral and craft trade, and then we uh, imported everything from artificial Christmas trees to the, 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 the silk flowers, the baskets. And I would travel overseas with my dad and go to a lot of the uh, trade shows, which were wonderful. I mean, there was a, they were lit, decorated Christmas trees, albeit artificial, yeah. but 24-7 in the uh, showroom. Uh-huh. So I really did enjoy that. And Christmas I Christmas in have, July for you. Uh, always, <laughs> always. Uh, hey, Christmas, you know, God bless those holidays. They, they put, they, you know, put me through university. And I always had a good affinity for numbers. So I was always able to like, I always could do math in my head. So mm-hmm. it just all sort of, I, I sort of, I enjoyed both ends of it. I have to say, I never thought about the business side of show business because that just wasn't something that was ever brought up at the table. You know, my mom's side of the family were all, were entertainers. They either entertained or then in later years taught. 
but I it equally enjoyed both. Uh-huh. You know, it just became one of those decisions where I was graduated not even a couple of months, and my father, you know, World War II vet, strong, strong man, so we never really noticed that he was getting ill. And by the time he went into hospital, it was six weeks. Wow. You know, back then, it was lung cancer. He was, mm-hmm. a you know, a smoker. Mm-hmm. And my mother was... The, you know, the wife that signed the tax return. She really was an actress. Back then, when I, I know a lot of all my actress friends and you know professionals, everybody's very savy. They, they you know, they're their own business managers or they have a good one. or they Exactly. Women we know now, you know, women know now, this right. gener- g- going forward, right. know, know your personal, uh, sure. watch your money, save your money. Sure guard your money. But back then, she did not do that. And he was he was only 60, which of course, then seemed extremely old. So my choice was I have an older brother, and he really ran the plant and he dealt with the unions and management. And I was front office and dealt with all the um, the buyers and the creative end, because that's what I loved anyway, the creativity. To this day, you know, put me in a flower shop, and I'll be happy to, you know, stand there and make arangements. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, you know, it wasn't even a choice. It was, that's what But I'm it was doing. obviously okay with you. It wasn't that you went in kicking and screaming. Oh, I wasn't kicking and screaming. It was, I, I, I hate to say that, I hate to use the terminology, the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. it was certainly the right well you, it needed to be thing done. to do yes. and of course i wanted to be there and be with my family and, and carry on my my you know it was we were my brother and i were third generation so i wanted to be there to protect that and you know it, it was fine it was okay so then what happened to prompt you to look at broadway with a business eye we go forward years later i sold my share of the business how uh, long did you work there i think it was about maybe 10, 12 years. I mean, I had, and it was the interesting part was fortunately, while I was at NYU, when I had time off, I would come by the office and just for some pocket change, I would do help with bookkeeping. And I'm talking about the days of carbon paper. Sure. Which anybody of a certain age and under have no uh, clue what it was like to have age. blue nail, blue <laughs> under your nails. Right. So I, I, I didn't walk in blindly to the business. I was fortunate that I actually had a clue when people knew me, but it was time. I assessed the situation. I had a young child, which is another reason of my getting out. I was traveling a lot, and I'm talking overseas traveling way before cell phones and FaceTime. That did not exist. Uh, So I uh, got a a degree, and I subsequently, when I had my my son, Maxwell, and he was invited into a play group when he was two, and one of the the young people, uh, children's dads, was a Broadway producer and had the longtime lease on uh, two off-Broadway Houses? Uh, houses, the Promenade and the Variety Arts, which were wonderful. Off-Broadway then was, was you, know, you know, 90s was flourishing. And, and was funky, though. It was great. Let's get context. What year was that? I would say that was around maybe 94, 95. Oh, 96. okay. Not that long ago. No, no. And, you know, we become all become great friends. And I'm the still separately from that. I'm going to theater once or twice a week. I mean, I remember going you know, being pregnant and waddle, you know, getting myself into a seat and, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that I wouldn't have to, you know, run to the bathroom 20 times. Right. But I was always the one in my neighborhood that everybody knew to call September. Okay, what tickets are we buying? What do we take the husbands to? What do we take the mm-hmm. kids? What's mm-hmm. the girls afternoon? Uh, so I so I was keeping my eye on things, but again, really was not aware there was about the business side. But my friend Bill, uh, who had the theaters and produced, he was the one after, you know, years of being, you know, a little time of being friends and going to theater together. And I'd always have commentary. We'd go to dinner and I would talk about the production and what I thought was great, what I thought wasn't. And he was the one who said, you know, you have a business background. You understand the creative. You'd make a great producer. 
And I said to him the question that gets asked to me all the time, and now, of course, I laugh. What you know, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said, I knew the director. I knew a core, my core, what director, choreographer, stage managers. You know, well, outside of money, what does the producer do? And he chuckled the same way I would now and go, okay, you're going to learn. And I started investing in, in some in shows. Off-Broadway first? No, actually, and Broadway. Mm-hmm. I, I dabbled in, in Broadway. I started, which I think is a good way for anyone to figure out if they certainly want to be in the business side, if they can. But also the, there's the Commercial Theater Institute, CTI, which has wonderful seminars and courses. And in particular, I got promoted to, um, there's a wonderful one for four, this 14-week program they do for people that are really serious about going into the producing world. And that was a great education. And the other thing was my, young, my son was still young. And I said, you know, this is something I want to do, but I want to be sure that once I really commit, I still have my other business, but I made my, you know, my hours and I could be around for the homework and mm-hmm. the soccer game. Right. I, was the, I was the dance, the dance school mom. My daughter went four times a week. And she's a lawyer now, but could have been a professional dancer, marvelous dancer. And I said, you know, I just want to wait till he's a certain age, till I feel comfortable. And he reached the point, you know how they get when they're like, you know, boys get when they're like 11, 12 and it's ever. And, you know, they put the sign on the door, women not allowed and all that. I have two sons. Yes, I know. Mm -hmm. My daughter's ready. She's she's an honor student, ready to go, you know, looking at colleges. They said, "I, I can be out at night now. And if someone said we have to go to Boston or D.C. or wherever, I can do that. I've put that time in. That's okay. And Bill had a project, and I I stepped in, and that was it. Sort of revved up a little bit. The conversation started around 2005, 2006. The project, I think, went out on the road, maybe in 2006, 2007, around there. And what was it? Oh my! It was a national tour, a level national tour that was supposed to. The trajectory was supposed to be Broadway. It was called Legends. It was written by James Kirkwood, originally for Carol Channing and Mary Martin, about two faded actresses who hated each other, who need to get along in order to get a roles in a movie. Right. And uh, one of Bill's partners was very good friends, was friends with uh, Joan Collins, and Joan wanted to come back in Broadway and do it, and came up with the idea, all of us, that wouldn't it be great to get Linda Evans and have this dynasty thing? And I will tell you that uh, Linda had never been on stage before, um, but said yes. I uh, said, why not? You know, also lovely. Both of them were lovely and separately. And at the beginning, it was an, an event. Uh, the press was huge for a show first doing a national tour. Entertain, you know, EW covered it. We had 19 cities. I think I went to at least 10, 11 of the openings. I was, I wanted to learn, and it was trial by fire. And did it work? I will say that it recouped all of its money, so it well, worked in that okay. way. Well, but let's just say that for various different reasons, it didn't go. It didn't fly. It didn't fly for not only onstage reasons, but let's just say some backstage reasons. Gotcha. I gotcha. So it was very fortuitous that not only did another show want to buy us out of, I think, the last couple, the last couple of weeks of the road, but we had never signed anything for Broadway. And you knew, I was just going to say, and that was not going to, it was not headed to Broadway. We, we weren't committed. I mean, that was the thought in the mind. And okay. with those two actresses at that time, yeah, sure. had everything been, you know, rosy, rosy, it sure. would have just, it would have made sense. They were, they still really were, very, would have been bankable names. Right, right. Um, but what happened was another partner on the show had just closed the deal uh, in London with Kevin Spacey when Kevin was still Kevin mm-hmm. on his production of Moon for the Misbegotten, which was marvelous with Emily Best, who's known as Eve Best, but and Emily. And I was very fortunate. That was my first Broadway production, and it was marvelous. It was, 
you know, 80, I think we had 84 performances. We made nice profit in it. The show was just beautiful and brilliant. It was truly a wonderful way and first production uh, for Broadway. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is easy. You get a few stars. You get a, you know, you get a great play. You make money. This is fun. <laughs> Except, well, the, the, it doesn't always work that way, right? But the thing about that is, you were contacted. You know that people oh, came. Oh no, you. no, no! Most definitely, not only I was. They asked me. They said, you know, you worked so hard on this national tour, and you really proved yourself, mm-hmm. and, and so were you're, there. You're, so they said to me, we want to thank you. You know, if anything, we want to make you. You know, you can be our partner. So yes. At that point, you had. Put your your uh, family business. Well, the family business had been sold. Sold. I started just you know reducing time. Yes. Now I wasn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater right. because it wasn't a full full time thing yet. Forgive the naivete, and I mean mm-hmm. I go to a lot of theater, but being a producer is a full time job. It depends on your level of producer on a given show. If you're a lead producer, you may just be championing that one show that you've been nurturing all along. Right. I have a project now that is in creative, you know, stages. Stages that should it we come should it when it when I get that draft and I'm going, yeah, this can do it. I will probably maybe not look at as many other things to join in on because, because want I want to give more energies. But in saying that even as a co-producer, the way that I've taken it on is I am involved with different projects. So I... Because like I said in the introduction, you have multiple uh, shows on. Well, I not only want to give my time to, you know, if, if there's meetings or just attending the show, doing what I can to promote the show. You know, there's other parts of producing. I, fortunately, over the years have developed a wonderful investor family and which, you know, and people keep introducing me as they're happy and mm-hmm. doing well. Uh-huh. So I have to actually have product. In order to have product, it's not only that I, I mean, I do get submissions. I have to attend readings and workshops. I have to go out of town, especially the summer is busy. It may take me to Boston, Massachusetts, Washington. There are theater, you know, th- theater theaters out in California, uh, Seattle, out in London, uh, I mean, that can be year-round. Sometimes the summer's busier because of all the summer stock, and there's right. interesting, There's seems to just be a lot more. But, you, you know, you also have to be able to not only find the material, identify the material, then there's just a good inve- investor relations. I stay very in touch with people and what's going on, you know, letting them know, here's, some, here's the press information, here's the financial, what's going on. But I'm struck by the fact that you are using the pronoun I. A lot. Yeah. So you don't have a company. I have my little company called Foolish Mortals Productions, uh-huh. which everyone thinks I did not directly steal from Shakespeare. <laughs> Uncle Paul. Uh-huh. Vo- let's go back yeah, to voiceover. Boris, Boris when you walk off. into, well, when you walk into Disney's haunted house and you hear that voice that goes, welcome foolish mortals. <laughs> and everybody cowers. That's Uncle Paul. And uh-huh. he was such an interesting character that there's a biography written about him uh, called Welcome Foolish Mortals. But when I was going into producing and I wanted to set up a, my, a separate, you know, corporation, right. we did a name check. Nobody had Foolish Mortals, and I have Foolish And you went for it. And I went for it. I thought it was a wonderful title for what I was doing. That's my business. But when I go into a show, I partner with other people. So I may be on different shows. Sometimes we have our own. We make our own LLCs. But for my production purposes, I have my own business. So 
a lot of us partner together. Some people choose to have, uh, you know, uh, whether it's an, a corporation, their own LLC, and some people do it under their own name, in their own name and in their own tax ID number. That's just, us. again, that's just a business decision. Talk about the highs as well as the lows. There's some very powerful plays and musicals that are doing, ve- I mean, Broadway's having a wonderful yes. season. So. Yes, this- Yes, Broadway really is. Unfortunately, sometimes the media tends to write about the ones that don't make it, and then they don't talk about, but on the other hand, all of these shows are making people wonderful sure. money. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be on some incredible shows over the year. Sometimes it's even that I just hear that somebody, uh, that, that, that whether a, a producer or a particular writer has even thought, has this particular script or optioned a certain book or, or material, and I went, I relate. I get that. I relate to that. You know, you mentioned about women in our industry. What I think is interesting for me and other women that are, you know, partners, you know, this is one business or product where we are, we're the demographic. We are the consumer. You know, every, you look at all the data, you know, it's women of a certain age, you know, between so-and-so and so, you know, we're the majority ticket buyer. We make the decisions. So I'm actually looking at material not only the material, but even the way that it's branded, marketed, advertised, social media, does it resonate with me? But I am smart enough, I hope, that I will very often bring um, whether my daughter, if she's available, or um, I have some you know, interns and you know, to get another generation's opinion. Because obviously, if you want that mega, you don't just want my gen- our generation, you want the younger generation as well to enjoy it. But I feel like I'm, I'm in a zone where, you know, I think I, 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 think I kind of know what people want to see because I'm, I'm the majority of that ticket of the buyer of that Okay, but here's the thing, and I've talked about this a lot with guests who are in the theater, mm-hmm. and I go to a lot of theater. When I'm in the audience, with very few exceptions, and one of them is The Temptations music, that was so uplifting to see such an eclectic audience in a Broadway show. But so often I look around and what do I see? Me. And I did not see that in True West with Ethan Hawke and Paul Dano. That was very exciting to see young men. I'm a little more buoyed as the years go on, but oftentimes it's... Broadway tickets are expensive. I take nothing away from the fact that putting on a Broadway show is a hell of a, an expensive oh, venture. Yeah. When I saw um, To Kill a Mockingbird, it was so exciting to see young people in the audience. I was told that there were $10 tickets that were Absolutely. being made available Absolutely. for them to see mm-hmm. this amazing production. Yes. But even in this day and age, and I think you have to agree with me, that the audience, while more versatile than back in the day, still has a way to go. There are certain costs and expenses that we just can't fight. There's unions, and they're there for their reason, and that's fine if they're protecting their workers, but they're there. So there are costs that have come that come in uh, at times that we just, there's not much that we can do. Mm-hmm. What I can I was say in a union. is... I'm pro-union. I'm, what I, I can yes. say is if you go to certain shows, you do see uh, ages and all ethnicities there, I mean, we we certainly make the invitation. I have been been purposely thoughtful about being on shows. I was a very proud co-producer on a show called Eclipsed, which was the first show to go to Broadway, written by, directed by, and starring women of color. A beautiful story, and we even had a separate, you know, we did funding separately per on by personally to bring in uh, young people 
uh, from places that might not be able to afford a Broadway ticket to come see that show. When we did um, All the Way, there was a, a group, the producers, and we chipped in and also brought in some students from high schools where, again, the ticket price might be prohibited. And, you know, to just hear them talking afterwards about how Dr. King really was important and he spoke with the president and all of that. Uh, the Mountaintop, which was directly about Dr. King. You know, so I, I've really and then working on something like Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which tremendously affected me. And I, I flew over to London and I just said, I, I need to be a part of this. I, I, I get this story. I understand it. And not even wondering, not even knowing that it would wind up being the commercial hit. Plays don't always go for two years. And that it just didn't affect people with, 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 with family on, the, on, on spectrum. Mm-hmm. It was such a beautiful work. And if that work allowed one teenage, teenager to go back to school and look at a classmate and say, I can. I should really let me look from life on how difficult it is for them. Right. Um, how open, wonderful. Open people's world. So I eyes. think you know. I think there are, and I'm. T- I tell people all the time. Uh, maybe not for the top two or three shows, but go on all the discount sites, which there are. Um, you know, it, it's wonderful that there's the booth, but now there's even apps. I think there's there's today's ticks. Right. Theater Mania, Playbill. All right, of them. Right, there right. are discount arenas. I also think there's a wonderful world of off-Broadway. I'm actually involved, to your point, with a nightclub musical. It's in Bushwick. It's in Brooklyn. It's fabulous. It's original. It's called Oscar at the Crown. The pricing point, I think we go, you know, we go way down to maybe, I think, 2025 a ticket up to a VIP, which means you get a special entrance and whatnot and a drink at the bar because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in a bar nightclub. It's not, a, you know, not Broadway. It's fun. It's 70 minutes, original. It's immersive. So you can dance. You can be in the room. You're standing. You can dance with, around and with the actors. You can hang out afterwards and have a drink and stay. It becomes a nightclub. It's um, got, it's a place called $3 Bill, which a lot of people know. And um, purposely because I did want to branch out myself. And a lot of my partners are in their 30s. And it's a wonderful world, although I'll tell you that I've been there with friends and we have a great time. I don't think it, it doesn't exclude anybody over 40. It's uh-huh. just, again, at a, at a very comfortable price point where my daughter can come with a group of friends as, and you'll make that as part of their evening to do that and then go to dinner or out wherever they want afterwards. I understand. So that's why I personally wanted to dabble in something a bit different as well, to your point of having something at a price point that was a bit different. But I How do you feel that. about revivals? I have no problem with a revival if it is, you know, for our next generation to see something, uh, something of brilliance. Mm-hmm. Again, if Arthur it's, Miller, for well, example, if it's, obviously, if it's done again with a brilliant cast, with a director who maybe even has an insight onto it that manages to make it relevant for today's market. I was involved with a musical in London. I'm smiling because it was. I'm. Such a huge fan of, of Sondheim, uh, as probably everyone that loves Broadway is. And he took company, his musical company, and he took this character of Bobby, sort of for Robert, 35-year-old single, swinging single guy and his married friends, Nineteen early 1970s show, fabulous music, great story then, about somebody wondering, can they make this connection? And he turns it around, Marion Elliott, brilliant director, uh, her idea that Sondheim embraced and, and, and said, like, what if Bobby is short for Barbara? Mm-hmm. And 
look at the story now of women who are at 35 who are single and, you know, people are getting married later or having children later, the thoughts, the pressures. It is so contemporary. And it has a second life. It has not only a second life, but it could have been written now, just fits right in. And I don't think a lot of it was really from my, I, I know the show well, a lot of it really just wasn't changed, although there were great casting decisions. I don't want to give too much away. But just changing that lead to a female has brought that, without taking away the character integrity of the show, I mean, it's and the phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the Olivier for Best Musical Revival, but it almost doesn't feel like a revival. Well, what about also Oklahoma, which for those who don't know, that Allie Stoker, who is disabled, won a Tony for her performance. Well, you know, I think whether Allie was, whether it was Oklahoma uh, th- this is a young woman of such wonderful talent that whether it was that show, you know, she was wonderful in Spring Awakening. That was, I think, her first Broadway when with Deaf West. Wasn't as large a role. I think whether it was Oklahoma or a show where she would have been given be given a role of that size and importance, she was going to stake a claim. And I think it's wonderful, um, you know, that... that but it's still a long time out. coming. I mean, you have to... You know, it's a long that. time coming, but again... A lot of things had get figured out, but I think it's incredible and wonderful. And I'm just saying she's just so talented that it was just a matter of, of time that, that somebody would say, why isn't she in the role? Well, we will figure it out. We want her in the show. Sure. Theater, Broadway especially, has been colorblind casting way before film and television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been proud and honored to have been in, uh, involved with, I think, at least four or five productions with, with, with James Earl Jones. But now when I, you look at shows, you don't even think about it. And as much as Hollywood is very proud of what they're doing, theater, Broadway did it a long way before, before. Mm-hmm. way before. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I think going back to your point about this being a close community, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it is a close community. So a lot of very talented people are working with each other and really just going for who's great for this. And how wonderful for uh, young people, if, if we want to have audiences for the future, audiences and talent for the future, that young people are in the audience going, um, wow, I look like that. That means I can, I can do that. Or I look like that. I, I'm, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Broadway. I'm, I'm going to go see more shows because I know that it's including me. Is it typical for a producer to have more than one show on Broadway simultaneously? I do have other people that I partner with that, that do have hands in more than one. Mm-hmm. Again, it really depends on how one somebody chooses to work. Or some people just go, I'm just doing, I'm developing this show and blinders on. And right. that's wonderful, too. And I'm not saying that that isn't something... That I wouldn't, will not do going future as well. I'm leaning toward that, but I've been fortunate enough to be around a bit and, you know, made friends and been a, I hope perceived as a good team player and all of that, where sometimes you get invited into something or someone says, you know, I'm doing this, but take a look. And it's, you're going, whoa, <laughs> okay, I need to be a part of that and I want a part of that and how can I not? Offer my investors, you know, something, to, a, a piece of that as, as well to I'm be a part curious, of I'm curious. Did you ever make any big Broadway mistakes like, oh, God? Oh, of course. You uh-huh. know, one of the most interesting lectures. And it's funny. I still go to a lot of these CTI courses. And sometimes someone will look at me and go, why are you here? You've been doing this for so long. I'm just a big proponent of education. Mm-hmm. I've always got a podcast on or something because... Yeah, that's how you learn. And that's that's how, how you learn, you and it's interesting. Your world. Yeah. But one of the most interesting ones I went to were, I'd say, maybe the top five, if you want to call them lead producers, but, you know, really the, the biggies. Yeah. 
And but it was about my big it was called Flophouse. And it was fascinating. But I think in anywhere in life, you know, when whether your kids on the sports team and they strike out or they don't get that great grade on the test and then going along, you learn more from your failures For sure. of what went wrong and right. go, okay, I'm not doing that again, or I'm not working with, I thought that person was going to be great to work with. They weren't. Sign that off. That material didn't work. Um, so yes, that that can happen. There are also times where you go into something with everything looking right, and it's still a business where even if critics, the critics love it, I'm a very, I believe very much in audience word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's that true too. if everyone goes out, and now especially with social media, you know, and I'll say this to anyone listening, if you really like a show and want to support it, smile, take your picture with the program or in front of, uh, you know, um, that's a best the advertising, signage, huh? Because you put that on your social media and your friends see it and go, wow, they had a great time. I want to have a great time. To me, that is, I, I don't even know if I say it's as more important than a critic's review, but it is so there mm-hmm. because. Well, it gives us power too, is it? It gives us power. But also, I don't think critics, there are times when critics can't tell audiences what they want to see. You know, sometimes I have found, maybe a little bit more off-Broadway, but once in a while on, there's material that might be really brilliant, but kind of out there or obscure. And maybe it's not for more of the masses. You know, Broadway is still a commercial, you know, there's Lincoln Center and Roundabout, and they're not-for-profits, even though they have shows on Broadway. But maybe they can look at things slightly differently right. because of how they operate. Right. In the commercial zone, of course, the artistry has to be there and wonderful, but you still have to look at it and go, and, and say, are there X amount of people willing to spend X amount of dollars to come see this, to support this? I have seen some gorgeous, brilliant work that just doesn't shouldn't be in a Broadway theater because maybe it's too intimate. It was in a one ninety nine, two ninety nine, or smaller theater, and it was just gorgeous. Should it go to Broadway? Maybe there's not enough of a audience for it, or it would lose something in that much of a larger space. But that's also again, that's a, a decision a lot of producers or creatives need to make. And you know, when they say check your ego at the door, yeah, you know, just say you know, understand that. And there is a world not only of off Broadway but of regional theater and theaters nationally in you know London and whatnot where where shows that never will hit Broadway have made money over very nice money over the years mm-hmm. and have had successful runs Tr- tremendously so again you know again it's just knowing knowing your product knowing who your you know your buyer is and you know having to always keep that in the back of your mind if you fall in love with something but then saying okay what it is now can this be maybe expanded? Is there a way, without taking away the artistry or the integrity of the piece, Right? can it be formed into something that would serve? You know, I remember with, with Dear Evan Hansen, which, you know, I mean, I was just sold. By the time, I guess it was an early workshop or something, by the time, waving through the window, I was just a puddle and said, that's it. I'm in. I am so in. You know, it did its work and, and those creatives obviously are just so I mean, incredible. But, and I would mentioned it, you know, to some investors and you know, and trying to describe it, when you describe it and just tell the story of, well, it's a high school student with some social issues and then another one. You Doesn't know, sound very some, sexy. No, if anything, goes, that's a kind of, no, who's going to want to see that? Right. Now, of course, they all came back to me and said, 
can you do it? Can you get it? I said, no, it's, oh, you're, no. But just listen to me moving forward. Mm -hmm. You know, even look at Hades Town. another example of, well, it's based on the mythology. Well, what has she written before? I said, well, she's an incredible writer, but she's been working on this piece for years. And again, you know, since the explosion in the eight Tony Awards, it's been... um, why didn't you make me do it? Like, I can't make you do it. I, mean, I, I think it's, it. yeah. That but again, of- you know, I mean, to me, you know, but then you get an Ain't Too Proud, which happily, you know, everyone was was predicting the death of the jukebox musical. Well, you know, ha ha. Not only is it entertaining, but they're human stories. It's a story of, of success, but of all these personal tragedies and failures. And there's something there that, you know, that you can all... Well, you know, relate to and about my past. Yes, I mean that was one of the things that attracted it to me. And I have a friend who I think have, has seen it about eighty-seven times. No, so. it's just you know I think it's one of the most not only entertaining nights uh, yeah, uh, on Broadway, and it just yes. but again it just shows you when someone says can this could this topic be a Broadway show? I said, well, if they can do one about an immigrant who comes in and decides he you know wants to rise to the top of American politics when there wasn't an America yet, you know, ha ha ha, right. Yes, you can. If you do it, if you do it really well, um, I don't think there's the world can be your oyster. It can be your Broadway oyster. I think that's a great way to end. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, for sharing your passion with us. It's very contagious. You know, it's been a pleasure. If anyone wants to know more about what I've worked on, um, my website is foolishmortalsproductions.com. It'll just let you know all the other shows I've been involved with. And I think that's perfect. Happy yes. to let people know what I'm working on going forward as well. Just shoot me a note and I'll put you on my little, you know, news news flash. And does Broadway have a bigger cheerleader? I think it's just it's well, great. you know, I think New York City is the greatest, greatest city in the world. And, <laughs> and Broadway is the number one thing to do when you get here. And there's nothing left to say after that, except thank you so much for being my guest today and having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot. Truly my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.